you'll stand with us in honor of the reading of God's Word. Our, our reading this morning is Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verses 15 through 24. I will also be reading out of the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible, as well. This is the Word of the Lord for us this morning. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as Christ, or but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Bibles once again to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 23 and 24 this morning. Confidence in God's design. Just a little bit of housekeeping real quick. Uh, Next week, I'm going to be speaking at a a family Bible conference. I'll be giving four lessons. I'll be teaching the whole book of Hebrews in four lessons. So pray for me, please. Y'all remember that. It's, it's been a little while, but it took a little more than four lessons to go through the book. But uh, pray for me. Kevin will be preaching, uh, and we'll have the pleasure of uh, his ministry next week. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, confidence in God's design. It seems that most people in the Western world are opposed to the idea of submission, yet they do it every day. Each time you slow down in a school zone, each time you lower your voice in a library, each time you pay taxes, even at the supermarket or the whatever store you're at paying those taxes, every time you obey your boss or your teacher, every time you wear your shoes in a restaurant, you are submitting. Still, most people seem to be against it. This is especially true when it comes to wives submitting to their husbands. How can you ladies be sure that this is the right way? The world is very emphatic that by a wife submitting to her husband is a return to the caveman era. But then there are your own doubts, ladies, I know. What about when your husband is not leading so well? And that happens more often than we'd like to admit. You may think, you know, maybe I could do better. Can you be sure that submission is really the right way? You know, maybe something else for you would be more fulfilling. Maybe you could realize your full potential better in another way. Maybe you could do even more for God if you the wife, or the leader? What if you just took control? 
Or what if you make life difficult on your husband when you don't get your way? Or what about maybe just lead subtly, but do it in a way that your husband doesn't realize you're manipulating him? Those are doubts that the world and Satan puts into your minds to doubt God's design. So can you ladies have any confidence that this concept of submission is indeed the right way? What we're going to see today is that a Christian wife can be confident, can be confident in submission, knowing that it's God's God's wise care for her. A Christian wife can be confident in submission, in the act of submitting to her husband, knowing that it is God's wise care for her. Well, remember, we're in this section of Ephesians where Paul is calling us to walk in wisdom, beginning in verse 15, which is why we, Jared read that and backed up to verse 15 and read for us. Walk in wisdom. And, and those four different ways in which Paul says to walk in wisdom, there's the speaking, the singing, the thanking, and then the submitting, verse 21. And then that then introduces this section about how we submit to one another in the Lord or in the fear of the Lord. And so a wife's submission is a part of that. Her submission to her husband is part of that. But for her to be able to do what Paul called her to do there in verse 22, to submit to your husband as to the Lord, that's a key phrase. For her to be able to do that, she needs the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we found the Holy Spirit. He shows up right there in verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, but what? Be filled by the Holy Spirit. And so we need his power to do what Paul calls us to do. And in that way, a woman's submission is going to be uniquely Christian. And I've been driving that home. I'll drill it into your heads and we'll keep doing that over and over. And then hopefully it'll stick. But what Paul is calling us to here is not what so many people around the world do today. There are millions, maybe even billions of people who practice male headship and female submission. Okay, Paul is not calling you to that, ladies. He's calling you to something that is uniquely Christian. If it's something that a pagan can do, that's not what he's talking about. Not on the surface, it looks the same. But we're going to see again today, as we did last week, that it is not the same. There is a lot more going on. Now, we could say that uh, since we're talking about a woman's confidence in whether this is God's way or not, we could just say that, ladies, you can have the confidence that this is the right way because God commands it. So through the Apostle Paul, Jesus gives to his church this command, wives, submit to your husband. And so you could say, well, you should have confidence because God tells you to. Okay, But fortunately, our Lord is so merciful And in His tender mercy, He provides more help to give you confidence. And so I'd like for us to notice on the next slide, Paul's reasoning here. And this is going to be our outline for today. So if you miss this, it'll show up again in the outline as we work through. But his reasoning goes like this. Wives, submit to your own husbands, verse 22. Why? Why should we do that? He explains in verse 23. Because God's original design points to and reflects Christ in his church. Okay, so there's the reason why. And then after explaining that, then he comes back in verse 24. Nevertheless, 
a submissive church is your model. So he's, he's basically saying it again, but with, with a little different emphasis, and we're going to look at that in a, in a little bit here. So, now moving on to our, our first point briefly, because we looked at this last week. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your own husbands, verse 22. So when we looked at that last week, we said the main point of it was this. Spirit-filled wives. Again, remember, that's be filled by the Spirit. Verse 18, that's the context. Spirit-filled wives are responsible for submitting to their husbands out of wonder and awe toward Christ. They say, wonder and awe. I didn't see that in, in verse 22. Well, he says, as to the Lord, which again, the context, back up one verse. What, what does he mean, as to the Lord? In the fear of the Lord. Submitting to one another... In the fear of the Lord. And as we've said many times, the fear of the Lord for a believer is not terror fear. So he's not saying, ladies, you need to submit because, you know, God's going to thump you. That's not what he's saying. It's in the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, as we looked at that uh, in uh, the lesson earlier, is that it is this sense of wonder and awe toward Christ. There is that respectful awe, but it's also you see the wonder of his plan and you see the wonder of God himself and all that he's doing and how he's working, uh, working his plan out in our lives through the order he gives us here in the family. <clears throat> Why then are wives to do this, to submit to their husbands? Can they be confident this is the right way? Well, look with me again, verses 22 and 3. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. So, our second point, which is more to what we're going to deal with today, is this. He explains himself. Because God's original design, this is why you are to submit to your husbands. It's not just that, you know, God is this male chauvinist like, you know, so many men, unfortunately, can be sometimes. And this is a chauvinistic way. It's not that at all. See, God's original design points to and reflects Christ in his church. And when I mean his original design, think what we've been talking about now for weeks. We've had this idea. We went through Genesis 1 and 2, looking at the foundation of God's design. What was that foundation? And so we, we saw there that, that male headship, female submission doesn't come from the fall, as feminists tell us, but it actually was a part of creation. It was God's original design. And so that original design Paul's going to invoke here, it points to something much bigger. Okay? It wasn't just about order in the home. It is that, but it's more than that. Okay? And so, what was formerly hidden, the church. Remember, we saw earlier in Ephesians, where he said that this, this was a, a mystery. That in Old Testament times, the church was never spoken of. He didn't talk about this program of the New Testament church in the Old Testament. He didn't even give us a prophecy that said, okay, in coming days, I'm going to, you know, have this church. And you know, it doesn't say that. And Paul tells us it was a mystery. So, what was formerly hidden... In Old Testament times, now you ladies, I want you to get this, you ladies proclaim. And think in terms of 1 Peter 3. It's not even through your words, but even without a word, you are able to proclaim this relationship of Christ and His church. You see, you see how this is so much bigger? 
than what we normally think. I, I know, you know, even guys, we don't like submitting. You know, I gave all those examples. I mean, there are times where we do it begrudgingly. You know, you can't tell me to be quiet in the library, right? You can't tell me I can't walk on the grass, right? You know, so we all feel this. <clears throat> and we miss sight of the fact that something more is going on here. So we're, that's what we're going to dig into now. So Paul is explaining himself here. He starts out, first word, verse 23, 4. Wives are to submit to their husbands because it's God's original design. And when he says the husband is the head of the wife, what he's doing there is he's referring back to Genesis 1 and 2, where we saw there that that's where this was established, that the husband is to be the head of the wife. It's an appeal to the creation account. And, and just so you know, that I'm not making this up, like, well, does he really mean that? Well, in verse 31, he actually quotes it. And so in verse 31, he's going to go back and quote from Genesis 2. And and so, yes, he is talking about the original, God's original uh, creation account, the design. And you remember back in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, as you'll see on the next slide, that we saw there, in before we even get to chapter 3, where remember the feminists say, oh, male headship comes from the, the fall. It was God's curse. No, no, it was God's good and loving, wise design. And we found eight evidences there we, in, in Genesis 1 and 2 that headship was, male headship was God's design. First, just quickly, man's name, Adam, is also the name for mankind, for all of us, men and women, Adam. Second, God created man first. And Paul makes a big point of that. We saw, remember, in 1 Timothy 2. Next, Adam was responsible for giving instructions to Eve. When God said, don't eat from the tree, she wasn't, hadn't even been created yet. So God expected Adam to pass that on to her. Headship emphasizes responsibility to lead. We also saw that woman was made for the man. And we saw a woman was made from the man, from his rib. The man named the woman, just as he did the rest of creation. He named the woman. And then the name that he gave her, Isha, was built from his name, Ish, in Hebrew. So, you see, there's eight evidences that male headship existed at the very beginning. It's not something that happened later on. Now, going a little bit forward to Paul's day, and there are different ways. I've mentioned some things about the way that Jews thought about their wives um, and, and a little bit about Greek society. Well, let's talk about Roman society, the, the larger umbrella over all of them. In Roman society in Paul's day, a father had authority over his daughter for her whole life. He still had authority over her after she was married. Legally, her husband didn't have authority, this kind of legal authority over her that her father had. And so that allowed her to be able to file for divorce. And her father could even initiate divorce for her. So you see, it was very different. And Paul, his teaching here upends that. And and. Paul is, is going to say, that's not God's design. I'm going back to the beginning. Remember, we've said that before. Jesus and Paul, they don't go back to some earlier period in history. They go back to the beginning. And over and again, Jesus does that when they ask him about divorce. And, and Paul does that in a number of places. He goes back to the beginning. 
Now, as I've pointed out, evangelical feminists claim that the Greek word for head, the husband is the head of the wife, they say this Greek word, kephale, means source. It's saying the husband is the source of the wife. And where they get that is there's this idea that when, when it says that Christ is the head of the church, they say, well, he's the source of the church. Like, well, there's a sense in which that's true, but Paul doesn't say that. But they also will take a more rare usage of the term head. And they'll say like, okay, well, if we say the head of a river, it's like the source of a river. It could mean that. And so they say, see, so the husband is the source of the wife. And then we're like, okay, what does that mean? And does that really get you out of the quandary you think you're in? You know, And, and it really doesn't help, but they muddy the waters is what they're doing. Okay. The normal usage of the word describes the leader in a relationship or the authority in a relationship. And so, and this is using the, the, the analogy of, of a human head and human body, okay? So where the head gives direction and the body follows those directions. So let me, let me kind of play with that analogy a little bit so you kind of see what we're talking about, uh, what, what he's doing here. So if you decide that you're going to go on a hike, and so you're going to go on this this trail through the woods and stuff, and and you're on the hike, and you're following the trail, the head decides to do that, and the head decides which trail we're taking, okay? So we head out, but then we come up to a wooden bridge, okay? And, And so when you get to that wooden bridge, the head is saying, okay, we're going across that bridge, and you start to walk across that bridge. But then, you know, and if you've ever done this, your feet kind of feel like, eh, that plank's not very stable, it's rotten, okay? So your foot is is giving some feedback to the head, okay? You see where I'm going with this, right? Okay. Now the head has a decision to make. Do we take a different route? Or based on that feedback, can we maybe make this one work? And so maybe the head says, okay, we're, we, this is the only way across this ravine, so we're taking this bridge. But hands, you got a job now. You hold on to those ropes. Okay, so that way if a plank gives way, at least we're hanging on, right? And then the head gives directions to the feet and says, be extra careful. You know, test each plank out before you put our whole weight on it, right? So see, that's what's going on here between this imagery of the head and the body. The head is actually leading. It's giving the directions. It's making the decisions, okay? But it gets feedback from the body. And so in Ephesians 1.22 and 4.15, we've already seen this term head come up. And I've talked about this a little bit already, but... We need to see that what was going on there in those two passages is that Jesus is said to be, or Christ is the head of the church. And I know the feminists say that he's the source of the church, but that isn't at all what those contexts are talking about. They're talking about Christ having authority over the church and leading the church, right? That's the point of those passages. So it's not talking about source. And that's what we find again here. He's not talking about source. He's talking about lines of authority. Is it Christ's authority he's talking about, which he does bring up here, or the husband's, which he also brings up here? So, I said just a bit ago that Paul bases the the teaching of a wife submitting to her husband on God's original design. But there's more going on here. 
Think about how he adds. For the husband is the head of the wife. He adds this. As Christ, as Christ is also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. He adds this. As Christ also is head of the church. What he's saying is that God's original design in Genesis 1 and 2 points to something else, something greater. It's reflecting something greater. It's like a picture of something greater. So it's like God's design where you have a wife submitting to her husband, which is what he's talking about here. That's a picture of something else. It's reflecting something else. It's like a mirror of something else, right? And it's pointing to something greater. It's pointing to Christ's relationship to his church. And so for you ladies, this is the church side of that relationship that you are able to exemplify. So you're able to point to the relationship of Christ and his church, you see, and the love he has for her. As Paul's going to bring out more explicitly in verse 32, marriage is ultimately a picture of Christ and his church. Marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. See, so it's bigger than just you submitting to your husband. Okay? It's much bigger than that. And and think about this too. Based on what Jesus taught us, wives, you will not be subject to your husbands forever. Okay? Sigh of relief, right? Because in heaven, we're not going to be married. Jesus said. But, you're pointing to something that lasts forever. The relationship of Christ and His church. Right? Which which will still be evident. It will still be a thing. Whereas marriage won't be. Okay? But our, if you will, marriage in a, in a typological sense will still be there as we are, we will be Christ's body forever. And you you think about this, even though, and this is kind of, you know, like from Sunday school, right? So we get these early pictures of things that God has told his people. And so you have the Abrahamic covenant, and then, as our brother John referred to, the new covenant. The Abrahamic points to the new, and Jesus fulfilled that, right? That unilateral covenant. So the same kind of thing is going on here. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, you have God's original design. And sometimes we look at that just on that that external level. It's just about, you know, me leading and my wife following. No, it is bigger, bigger, bigger than that. It is about, it's actually pointing. Genesis 1 and 2 is pointing to Christ and His church. Now, they couldn't see all of that. They could see that, yeah, there, there's that image in, in the Old Testament where Israel was seen as God's wife, right? And then, you know, he had to send her away to Babylon and so forth. But then there's this even greater picture of Christ and his church that, that all of that was pointing to. So Genesis 1 and 2, when it's talking about the, the order within a marriage, is pointing to Christ and his church. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? You know, it's so much more. It's not, this is not just mundane, you know, day, day in and day out life in the home. That that day in day out life is not mundane. It's pointing to Christ and His church. So something that God's design revealed long before the church was formed. 
we learn here, marriage was designed to draw attention to Christ's relationship with his church. That's so beautiful. And, of course, you know, I'm resisting talking much about what's going to happen in the verses about the husbands. But you're going to get it even more so, right? On the Christ side of that relationship. Right now we're getting the church side of that relationship more so. And how you ladies are able to proclaim that. What Paul is saying is that you wives have the opportunity. Okay? So this is a new way of thinking about submission. Okay? You have the opportunity through godly submission to reflect the glory of Christ in his relationship to his church. You see, that? it's beautiful. You have the opportunity through godly submission to reflect the glory of Christ in his relationship to his church. This is so much bigger than you and me. This is about Jesus. As a woman, you have a unique role in magnifying Christ. You see why the feminists are so wrong. They're wrong on a lot of levels. But this is what is lost. If we listen to them as the evangelical feminists listen to them, and they say, okay, well, you got a point, and, and we're going to adopt some of that, and we're going to... Do you see what we lose? you see what you ladies lose when you say, oh, you know, I would so much rather be the leader? Okay, I get that. But if you do, this is lost. You no longer have the opportunity to proclaim, to point to Christ and His relationship with His church. That's what's lost. That's why this is a big deal. This isn't just about traditional values. This isn't about, well, let's go back to the way it used to be. This isn't about that. This is about pointing to Christ and the opportunity that you ladies have to point to Christ. And, and so, I, you know, we should never think in terms of, you know, well, okay, men being the leaders, we're the ones that are pointing to Christ. We're the ones that are proclaiming, you know, because we're preaching, you know, from the pulpit and, and ladies aren't. Ladies, you have a pulpit. It is your marriage. It is your submission to your husbands. That is your pulpit. And that is what you preach from. 1 Peter 3, even without a word. And so Paul could even say there, so that even if your husbands are disobedient to the word, they can be won by the behavior of their wives. They can be won without a word, right? And so I hope you let him see what a powerful tool you have, first and foremost, to point to Christ in his relationship to the church, to bring him glory. But also, you have a big impact on your husband and everybody else around you. Because what? You're pointing to Christ. Every time you submit to your husband as a godly wife, not, not begrudgingly and, and grumbling and you know, spitting and fuming. and No, when you do it in a godly way, you're pointing to Christ and His church. We do not want to lose that. Don't, ladies, don't ever think you don't have a significant place in God's kingdom. It isn't just about doing the, the, the basic you know, domestic things that maybe that's what you do. It's bigger than that. And of course, you know, for those of you ladies who are not married, this still shows you that through having that same kind of mindset and encouraging other women who are married, you know, the Titus 2, right? And you're encouraging them. Like, I know it's hard. I, I did that. 
you know, and and now I'm single for whatever reason. And but I want to encourage you to hang in there and point them to Christ. That this is what you have the opportunity to do as a woman. This is distinctly Christian. You see, that's why I'm, I've been saying this isn't what the world does out there when they when a woman submits. This is not that. Paul now appeals to redemption to support his point. So it becomes even more distinctly Christian. Because he says here in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Now, he himself, Jesus, being the Savior of the body. He's appealing now to redemption. Ladies, have you realized that? When you talk about, when you study submission, you're trying to wrap your head around, how do I do this? You know, maybe you didn't see the the original design, but maybe you did. But did you see this? That Paul appeals to redemption. To encourage you, to give you confidence that this is the right way. What he's doing here is he's drawing out the character of leadership on the one hand and giving you ladies confidence on the other. Leadership is other-focused. It is not self-focused. And we see that in both of these terms. The the idea of Savior is not self-focused. A Savior is actually in the business of saving someone. Right? The other. And then when he says of the body, the body is that someone. It's that other. That's the focus. You see, it's not self-focused. It's other-focused. Leadership is caring and compassionate. This whole idea of Savior Caring and compassionate toward those being led. A man rules in his family for the good of those under his care. It's not for his sake. Sadly, too many of us guys, we we tend to think that. That this this is for me. And it's pretty good. No. It's not for you and it's not as good as you think it is if you're doing it right. It's not in the sense of being just real pleasant and easy. You're doing it for the good of those under your care. A Christ-like leader is a self-sacrificing leader. He is not a tyrant. Now, you guys are kind of like, whoa, hang on a second, John. Whoa, wait a minute. We haven't got to verse 25 yet. You know, I thought we had at least, you know, a couple more weeks here before we get to that. We're supposed to be talking about the ladies, right? Well, yeah, you're right. He's not addressing the husbands here. He's addressing the ladies, the wives. And she needs to see in this phrase, Savior of the body, the purpose of God's plan. You see, it is for her good. So there's this way in which her submission points to Christ and His church, but it's also for her good. You know, you might say, well, I'm the one suffering here, you know, under my husband, because sometimes, you know, he's a real chump, and, you know, what about me? And God says, well, this is for your good too. And... And that's what that this idea Savior comes out, brings out. It's for her good. And, and so what's going on here is that there's a parallel in character. So he says, okay, Christ is the Savior of the body, and then the husband is the head of the wife, and the parallel is a, is a parallel of character, okay? Not of the actual work, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute, but... It's a parallel of character. So your husband, the design, God's design is that he would parallel Christ's work as Savior. Right? Now, you, you guys are not going to be saving your wives and your wives, your husbands are not going to be saving you. But 
<clears throat> it's a it's a parallel of character. And so you ladies need to rest in God's wisdom and goodness. Because God means this. He has given you your husband for your good. It is for your good. That's God's purpose in this. That's what God intends by his wisdom and goodness in it. John Stott explains that a wife's submission to her husband is not to be an unthinking obedience. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute at the end of verse 24. It's not an unthinking obedience to his rule, but rather a grateful acceptance of his care. So the idea in that is, ladies, be actively thankful to God. You should say, Lord... Thank you for giving me this. It's an opportunity, but it's also for my good. Thank you for giving me this. Now, that doesn't guarantee that every husband at every turn will be everything that he ought to be. Only Jesus is that. But she needs to trust in God who gave the plan and who is working out that plan. And I know, ladies, you know, you you say, okay, my husband's not anywhere near where he needs to be. And this is hard. Submitting to Him. Okay, get that. But remember that you are on God's timetable. Your husband is on God's timetable. And He is working out His plan in your individual lives, in His church, and in all of history. Okay? And you are a part of that. God's, he knows what He's doing. A wise wife will tell herself this. Remember, walk in wisdom. Okay? So a wise wife will tell herself this. God knows what he's doing, and I rest in that. So when your husband isn't leading so well, when he's leading badly, you tell yourself, God knows what he's doing. My husband may not know what he's doing, and that happens sometimes. I'll say it, guys. I know you don't, you don't want to say it, so I'll say it for us. Sometimes we, we don't know, it, you know what we're doing, but God does. And ladies, that is what you trust in. Not You don't trust in your husband, you trust in God. A woman thrives within God's design when she rests in God's wisdom. She thrives within God's design when she rests in God's wisdom by joyfully submitting to her husband's leadership and care. You see, and I've mentioned this before. I'll I'll give the name. I need to give this dear sister the credit here. Uh, The term happy complementarian. Okay, so a lady named Whitney. Uh, Willard on the Nine Marks uh, site has an article, Delighting in Authority, uh, and she refers to herself as a happy complementarian, which, you know, in the whole feminist world and all, they those are fighting words, right? And um, But that's, that's what we're talking about here, is that you ladies can say, God has told me to submit to my husband and God is good. This is hard, but God is good and he's wise. He knows what he's doing, and I will rest in that. Now, we do need to be careful here. Some people go astray, and they misunderstand some things here. The husband is not the wife's savior. Remember, I was talking about that, that it's a parallel of character. Some people say, well, when he says, you know, Jesus being the savior of the body, he means that the husband is the savior of the wife, and he doesn't say that. And that goes against all New Testament theology and Old Testament theology, right? We do not save our wives. Only Christ does. Okay? Also, the woman is not the man's body. 
Okay. Well, then what about the analogy I gave you, you know, with the head and the body and all that? The wife is one with the husband's body. She is not the husband's body. She's one with his body uh, here on earth. In, in eternity, she won't be, but she is now. And in eternity, we will be, we'll still be part of Christ's body forever. Okay. But see, the woman is a part of Christ's body now. She's not the husband's body. She's Christ's body. Okay. And we need to keep our theology straight. But we do see patterns here that help us. The character of the man's headship is based on Christ as Savior. And again, leadership is to be compassionate and caring. <clears throat> and so what the parallel here is that you've got God's ca- compassion and caring, and then parallel to that should be the husband. That's God's design. That's what God is working to do in the husband. And this is designed to encourage you, ladies. Leadership should be compassionate and caring. Sometimes it's not. Hang in there. Get help. Okay? That's what we do in, in, in counseling and in shepherding and everything. And in the one anothering as we help to see that this, you know, we're, we're all making progress. Okay? Like our Savior, the husband is uh, to commit to protect and care for his wife. That's his job. We'll get into more of that later. So, Paul has said that wives be subject to your husbands or or submit to your husbands. And then why should you do that? Because God's original design points to and reflects the relationship of Christ and his church. Now, verse 24, or third point, nevertheless, coming back, he said, I'm coming back around. Nevertheless, a submissive church is your model, verse 24. But as the church is subject, subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. In other words, they should submit to their husbands and everything. First thing I want to say about this, a wife submitting to her husband is a subset of her submitting to Christ. Okay? Don't ever forget that, ladies, or husbands. Okay? Some husbands think that they're God in their home, and that, that is not true. Okay? That's sinful to think that way. You're not God in your home. You're not Christ in your home. Christ is Christ in your home because it's his home. He owns it. Your wife's submission is a subset of her submission to Christ. Why, husbands, why does your wife submit to you? Because God said so. Christ said so. Not because you said so. Men, it is not your place to subdue your wives. Paul does not say that here. He uses the middle voice. Wives, you voluntarily submit to your husbands. Remember, voluntary but not optional. But Christ tells her to do that. That's not our job. Christ tells her. So so she, being a part of the body of Christ, she listens to her Lord, and her Lord says, Okay, dear one, here in Ephesians five, twenty two to twenty four, I tell you, submit to your husband. And then as a part of submitting to her Lord she submits to her husband. That's what Paul is... One of the things he's drawing out here in verse 24. And she and her husband both submit to Christ. Now, okay, you ladies, probably the, the big thing you've been waiting for. The last two words of verse 24, right? Wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Okay, so, I mean, that... That one, 
yeah, you ladies are like, oh my, where are we going with this, right? <clears throat> like everything, everything? Well, as you study, you can just study any language for that matter, but you study the biblical languages, you find that words like all and everything, they rarely mean all without exception. They almost never mean everything, 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 right? And, it, you know, if, if you try to force them to do, then our theology becomes really weird, okay? And it does not mean all without exception here. It can't, right? Now, some people take it that way. Some people say, oh, no, it does. And so, if a husband tells his wife to do something sinful, I want you to participate with me, you know, sign our tax return. I, I, tax return. I cheated on it, and we're going to get an extra $5,000, and I want you to sign. And there are, there are husbands who say, you better do that, and their wives saying, okay, I'm fine with that. Paul's not saying that here. Okay. If her husband orders her to not do what God commanded her to do, she must not submit. If her husband orders her to do what God forbids, she must not submit. She must obey God and not her husband. Acts 5.29, so the apostles said when they were threatened... Stop talking about Jesus. They said, you know, you, you guys do what you got to do. You know, if you got to imprison us and kill us or whatever, you do what you got to do. But we're going to obey God and not men. That doesn't mean you never obey men. It means when men's instructions, commands go against God's, then you go with God's. Always. 100% of the time. The wife is not called to give unconditional obedience to her husband. She's not called to give unconditional obedience to her husband. She's accountable to God to not sin. And I know some ladies will... Um, they'll do what Adam did. He's like, I'll let Eve make the decision here and, and you know, I'll just blame her. Like, I'm, I'm not accountable. She made the decision... Well, some ladies, I've known women who do that. They're like, my husband tells me to, you know, sign and cheat on the taxes. You know, or this or that. Participate in sin with, you know. And they say, God's going to blame him. It's not, I'm, I'm off the hook. Oh, no, you're not. Because you're subject to Christ, just as your husband is. You're accountable to him, to the, to Christ. And if he calls you to participate in sin, and I mean sin as defined by Scripture, you must disobey. You have to obey God. So if if a husband, and sometimes it's an unbelieving husband, and he says, I forbid you to go to Sunday morning worship at your church. Sorry, you have to disobey. If he tells you, your husband tells you, I forbid you to read your Bible, you have to disobey. If he tells you, don't teach your children about the Lord, do not submit. And one thing to call out, as I did last week, ladies, you are never to submit to your husbands in the manner of abuse, the matter of abuse. Okay? Particularly physical abuse. But do not. You're wrong for submitting to an abusive husband. God does not call you to do that. You need to speak up. And there are those of us, your elders for sure, who will help and others here if you need. 
So, wives, work to understand the reasons that God provides. He gives you here out of his mercy to give you confidence that submitting to your husband is the right thing. You have to work at that. It doesn't come naturally because when your husband asks you to do something, you really don't want to do it for whatever reason. And it's not sin. You need to have prepared for it and prepared your mind so that you can say, yep, this is the right way. And God has given me confidence that this is the right way. And then... With that confidence, rest in God's plan. Rest in God's plan. Your trust is in Christ. It's not in your husband. Rest in God's plan. Godly submission pleases the Lord and it exalts Christ. Do you ladies get that? Godly submission pleases the Lord and it exalts Christ. I know it's not going to feel like that. When your husband says, I always want you to to cut the crust off of my sandwich and I want you to cut it at this perfect diagonal this way. and It won't seem like this is exalting Christ, but it is. And you say, sure, happy to. You're exalting Christ. Ladies, take this away. Learn this so that you can help us, help we, as husbands, learn this. Because we're next. We need you to help remind us. Point us to Christ in His church. Remind us by your submission, your godly submission, that it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's bigger than us. Turning to him now in his supper. As I said earlier, submission and headship are based on redemption. Paul said, use this to encourage the wives. Jesus himself being the savior of the body. He he brings in redemption there. Acts of marriage, like submission for men leading in a godly way. Acts of marriage point to Christ and point to the bride that He died for. It points to that relationship between the Lord and His bride. This is way bigger than us, and let's keep that in mind. Let these thoughts of how this is so much bigger than us, this is about Jesus. Let us keep that in our minds as we come to the table now.